Welcome to another episode of the Oliver Shira Show, and I'm your host Oliver. And today's interview is with Rob, Rob Lenfesty. Um, this is like many of my latest interviews this year, bringing me to new fields of interviewing. So I'm so grateful to get this chance. I found Rob Lenfesty on Convergence Lifestyle YouTube channel, where he has created a really awesome. Wim Hof breath uh, guided meditation or breath work and I reached out to him and he was so fast responding and making time for this interview. So I'm looking forward to have several interviews with him because he has such a vast uh, base knowledge uh, about so many things that interest me and I am sure that will be of interest for you too. I don't want to hold you much longer back so without any further ado welcome rob so now i'm recording and yes. that's uh that's happening so there we go <clears throat> let's be creative right exactly um, it's, it's a perfect stimulus to really tap into that creative essence and, and do something outside the box a little bit outside the comfort <laughs> zone welcome this is another episode of the oliver Shira show today i'm the host but the, the audio recording is on the other side, <laughs> so we have some technical issues. And I'm talking, now let's get that right, to Rob Lenfesty. You got it. I got it, yes. And I found you on YouTube. Uh, where did I write down how that is called again? Uh, Convergence uh, Lifestyle. Exactly, Convergence Lifestyle, and you're not only doing that uh, for uh, two months, I think, you also are doing Mandala Springs, uh, you do Mandala Chocolates, you're a Wim Hof instructor, a yoga slacker, you do your own music style, uh, and I think the climbing in nature and all kind of you know outdoor activities. Did I get yeah. that right? Yeah, I like to... Uh... I like to call it, I mean, the reason why I call my new, my brand new YouTube channel Convergence Lifestyle and the book that I've been writing uh, that convergence is because it is actually about uh, living this dynamic life that has this full spectrum of different holistic and empowering practices. And they all inform each other and help create more creativity around each other. So yeah, I tend to uh, I tend to be the anti-specialist in a lot of ways. I like to, I like to keep it dynamic and uh, put my hands in just about everything. <laughs> yeah, I've um, I've seen uh, one of the videos you have on YouTube that um, you like to have like four things going on in the same time, so you can jump in between the tasks. Is that still correct? Oh yeah, I mean, well, it's more, it's more like teaching them, uh, it's, it's teaching the mind how to perform multiple complex tasks or functions simultaneously. And it's understanding how that happens in the body uh, that uh, basically you have to practice something with the conscious mind, which can only handle a few variables at any given moment. And you practice it until it becomes part of the subconscious. Once it's there, then your brain can handle thousands and thousands of variables at the same time. So it's understanding that principle and practicing things specifically to get to that point. So, you know, 
I can be playing one pattern with my left hand on the piano and one with my right and having a conversation with you all at the same time. Uh, and that's, uh, that only happens through the subconscious mind. Okay. Now I'm not really prepared to that depth, but let's, let's just go with it. Right. Um, I'm, I'm neither a specialist. Uh, I'm also doing too many things and, uh, you know, the, the general world will say you have to specialize, right? Because otherwise we cannot put you in a box and uh, <laughs> then you cannot work in our society. So, <laughs> but I can see you, you, you're definitely, I like that. Uh, what you're talking about is probably more habits, right? Um, if it's on the subconscious. Bringing something into the habit, into the habitual world. Exactly. And, and okay. honestly, like, and what you just said, I, I, my goal is to make this into a new box. You know, society needs, <laughs> society needs boxes. They want to put you in a box. So let this be a new box. You know, the, the holistic multi-level uh, empowered human, uh, let that become a new specialty. So that's, uh, holistic, uh, so that fits that. Yeah. Holistic level, multi, uh, holistic multi-level uh, empowered human being. <laughs> yeah. That, let that be a new box for, for society to sink its teeth into. Okay. I think I have a title for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I, I try to, go my flow, uh, my questions, and um, I'm sure we will go with the flow. <laughs> so let's say, I don't really know you. We I just reached out two days ago, I think. And now we are sitting here and we have this amazing talk, I'm, I'm sure. So if you have to describe yourself with, yeah, I normally ask for three things. And um, it can be professionally or private, but I think for you, that's anyway, all mixed up. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so how, how would you describe yourself for someone which doesn't know you um, like our listeners here let's see how would I describe myself in a, in a concise way so if, if there's been a single challenge for me in, in turning you know what I'm doing my lifestyle into a viable box it's being able to describe it concisely and I, I think <laughs> really what what I do is I, I seek creative empowerment and I seek it through as many different avenues as, as I see are necessary to expand my ability to, uh, to experience the fullness of what human potential is capable of experiencing. So I look for the black spots, the holes, the places that are atrophied. Uh, I look for the, I look for the things that could inform my reality uh, that I've, I have not developed at least some level of competency in. And I, I go there. And the way that I can tell that I'm going there is you can almost feel your brain hurt when you're trying to do something new that is outside of your comfort zone that you, that's requiring mind, body, coordination that you've not already garnered uh it's there and you know for any given discipline there's a there's a infinite level of of advancement possible so it's really just making sure that i'm gaining a basic level of competency in most of the important 
areas of human development uh, because I believe that they all inform each other. And so that was like totally not a three word concise way to describe what I do, but I, I think I, I think I did a pretty <laughs> good job there. Um, I, I didn't ask for three words. I just generally asked like three things to describe. Some people say I'm an open person. I'm, I'm challenging the status quo and you know, you know, these answers, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, for every one of those answers I, I could give a lot of times then, in my mind immediately, I, I see the negation. I'm like, yes, but the other, you know, like the balance. So that's where that becomes more difficult uh, to, to really define myself is because it's like, you know, there's certain ways that being open are the most important, but uh, you have to know when to close a loop and when to open it in order to uh, grow effectively. Because if you just stay completely open at all times, you're not necessarily going to be growing effectively. You're going to be, you're going to be dispersing your energy too much in any given moment. So, you know, there, that's, it's, it's just an example of how yes. And as far as anything that I would describe myself as in any given moment. With what you just said, you opened the door for a weekly podcast with me and you <laughs> finding out what creativity is. Um, no, but let's try to keep it on this episode for, for now. Sure. It, it's great. I mean, what you say, opening and closing, and I, I just like, you know, my, my brain went all the ways because if you're always open, right, you can, you just try to absorb new things all the time instead of growing on this one thing you are and then open up again and add and grow a different way. Uh, is that the way you, you try to say it or? Yeah, essentially, if you're, if you're just staying completely open to whatever the experience is bringing in any given moment, I mean, there, there is a level to which that's necessary. That's kind of how you, how you get new inspiration and new ideas of what you want to put your time and energy into, but then you've got to close the loop so that you can focus and actually practice and gain competency yes. in something and, and grow in something and be able to actually expand your competency in any given discipline. And it's, and that's a lifetime refinement of knowing when it's appropriate to open up and to start receiving more creative ideas about what you want to spend your time on. And when you want to really close that loop, focus and, and practice. And that's part of the art. And I think there's, you know, that's, that's something that there's no, uh, there's no definite formula for it's more as you experiment and as you go about life doing these kinds of things, it's something that you refine over time and get better and better at. Uh, so you're not wasting energy. You're not dissipating or dispersing your energy in inefficient ways. You're maximizing your growth potential in any given moment. And what, without compromising your creativity, you know, the extreme of this is the specialist who stays hyper-focused and hyper-narrow in their discipline and they don't ever open up. And so there's all of these other avenues and aspects of their own creativity that they don't ever explore. And I think their specialty suffers for it because the way that our synapses work in our brain, at least, if we want to just focus on the brain and, and the synapses, is they all interconnect. So if I learn a piano pattern, it's going to create synapses. It's going to exercise a part of my brain that I've never used before. But the key there is those synapses aren't just 
dedicated to that piano pattern. Those synapses are now reaching out, sending, you know, sending out new connections to all these other parts of my brain. So like new potentials that I wasn't even looking for around getting on a slack line or some sort of movement pattern that I'm working on are going to exist. I'm going to gain new creative perspective on every single thing that I do from anything that I practice. So what this does is it creates, uh, it creates the innovator. That is, that is, if you want to put somebody living this kind of lifestyle into a box, it's the innovator because any problem that I am approaching, I am approaching with a much wider uh, perspective of, of experienced reality than somebody who's say a specialist, a specialist might go so far into mastering their little profession, but they're going to stay kind of in a creative box of their own creation relative to it. When you spend your time really endeavoring to stay evenly skilled within the holistic spectrum of human experience, then you're able to look at any given specialty that someone else would have with an innovative mind and you're able to be an innovator within it even if you're not the the like you know super prodigal master of that discipline so it's extremely valuable it's one of the most important roles that can exist in any discipline and it's what's fun about it is you don't have to take the path towards that exceptional mastery that only comes if you were to focus yourself entirely on one thing. Now, what I do think is as you learn to learn, because that's what this is, it's about learning how to learn well. Um, I think that you actually gain greater competency in anything you're doing more rapidly. Uh, so so you're, not, you're not necessarily like that focused, specialized master, but you're going to have a completely unique creative relationship to whatever you do, whether it's playing music or moving or creating a holistic chocolate or food business, uh, creating a retreat center, whatever it is you're doing, you're going to have your, it's going to be informed by a wider and broader spectrum of creative potential. And that's kind of the, the, the key juice, uh, the essence of my perspective strategy and what I'm doing in the world. Wow. I, my, my brain has like all these boxes now, which I want to ask you. It's just <laughs> so many questions I could ask. Um, to keep my flow, I know probably it's breaking the flow a bit, but let's see where it's going because um, I ask my guests normally the color question. I don't know if you have heard it. It's like if you're a new color in a crayon box, what color would you be and why? Oh, I like that. So let's see. I would be, I would be a color that uh, changes based on the medium that you're, <laughs> that you're drawing on. So literally, you take this one crayon, it's probably going to be some um, indistinct color like when you're looking at it, but as soon as you start drawing on this type of paper, it has a completely different color than when you start drawing on this other type of paper. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's a crayon whose color is changed by the medium that you're coloring onto. Ah, uh, and why? Because 
that is exactly the way that I function in the world. It's like the way that I perform and the way that I behave is, is changes to, based on the medium. So if I'm out in the woods and I'm in nature and I'm moving on all fours, uh, there's a different behavior. There's, a different, there's different layers of my personality, different layers of the way that I function that are, that are happening than when I am sitting here on a podcast in front of a computer with a <laughs> microphone in my face than if I'm on a stage in front of 3,000 people playing the piano with a band. Uh, they're like the the color you know which is essentially like my like my personality what i share you know a crayon shares its color with the medium so i'm the whatever that color is it's going to actually change um dynamically depending on the medium and of course there's always the aspect of the personality a crayon is always a crayon no matter you know what medium you're you're coloring onto but it's it's being able to color in a dynamic way. This is a this is a smart crayon too. It's not just <laughs> changing. It's not just changing its color based on what you're what you're drawing on, but it's actively uh, paying attention to the medium that it's drawing on, and it's choosing the color that seems most appropriate for that medium in any given moment. So it's not just random. We're talking about okay. the crayon of the future here. <laughs> oh, we just made an episode on crayon. <laughs> Super. That's like, wow. Very, very creative. I can see you really um, absorbing. Um, and I don't ask the question about the sound note because I've asked uh, some, some musicians <laughs> what sound note they would be. I can <laughs> uh, changing, you press once the button and it changes uh, the feeling. So, uh, these, these questions are meant to, you know, break the ice, uh, but you broke it from the first tone. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if you had, perhaps you're up to that question as well. If you have a secret, not many people know, and um, I have to be careful how I ask it. It's, it's, it's not like a dirty secret. It's more like something, it could be a habit you do or something people wouldn't expect you to do. Uh, it could be like you're, you're dancing around in the pink tutu all the time. Um, when no one is watching or you have like a secret room with all kind of toad um, sculptures. Uh, do you have something like that? <laughs> uh, I'm sure I've got plenty. Well, the thing is, is because of the way that I live in the world, there's not much that people would, there's not much that people wouldn't expect from me at this point. Um, and, and, and it could be pretty like out there and radical and it wouldn't necessarily uh, it wouldn't necessarily not fit in in the life that I've created, but um, yeah. ah, I don't necessarily. Yeah, they, they expect you to do that. They let's, expect let's say, me to do the unexpected. Yes. So, okay. I mean, uh, you answered it perfectly. Um, but when I see you, you're, you're really this, you, you like this jack of many trades thing because you learn something new and you can use it in a different way in um in a way some people wouldn't expect it because it keeps your brain active your body active your spirit so when you were younger how were you have you always been like that is, is how has the path been to become this kind of you know master of, of learning so that's that's actually a great question um and it actually it actually uh 
ties back into your last question, like the answer there, like, so essentially, um, as a child and, and in growing up in general, part of what has allowed me to get to the point that I am is that I wasn't, it, it was not easy for me to, uh, to fit in to a normative cultural reality as it was for other children. I struggled. So I wasn't it, like the, the easy things, the, the easy like behaviors that you just mimic from your friends and that you mimic from society and the way that people interact with each other. Something wasn't connecting uh, in the same way for me as a child. So I was always really kind of clueless about social norms and uh, it created a lot of issues for me. And it was a lot of confusion around that too, because um, I was getting a lot of negative feedback as a child from my behavior. Yeah, yeah. I was getting tons of negative feedback, but I didn't have any, I didn't have any tools to understand why or what I was actually doing that was creating the negative feedback. And there was no system in place to support me in, in, in understanding what was different and why. So, you know, the, and, and there wasn't much at that time for the adults, you know, they were doing the best they could with the tools they had, but they didn't understand either. So long story short, it ended up creating lots of patterns of feeling very uh, just wrong as it like inherently not right. And, and that, you know, that tumbled into, and, and granted this whole time, it's like, I'm playing music, I'm writing songs, I've got entire fantasy worlds that I've created, um, definitely helped my creativity in, in that regard. Uh, I created intricate worlds that I could escape into in my, in my creative realm and in my mind. But in my, you know, day-to-day -day physical reality, um, it was kind of miserable. You know, I didn't, necessarily think myself worthy of love, worthy of friendship. I kind of, on a social scale, placed myself at the bottom of the totem pole. Not, you know, not conscientiously, but uh, definitively. And so I was very much an outcast, uh, very much marginalized. Uh, have two sisters that, that, you know, that socialized phenomenally and we're very, you know, they're just one year and two years younger than me. And so it was also juxtaposed and witnessing them just easily succeeding in all of these ways that, that I, you know, I was a kid. I didn't have the tools to even analyze or cognize what was actually happening, you know. And, and, uh, but I look back at my writings. I was always writing. I've got journals going back to, to the age of 10. And when I look at some of the some of the things I was writing, it's like, there was a part of me that knew like that, that there was an, there was a special oppor opportunity built in to the way that I was perceiving the world and the way that I was functioning, but it didn't know how to articulate it. It didn't know how to harness it. Um, and I was miserable. And I, you know, it, as a teenager, I mean, granted teenagers are teenagers. Like I, you know, <laughs> everyone, they're always, they're, there's a modicum <laughs> of self-loathing and drama and all the rest. But I, I had a pretty intense level of that. And it wasn't until I uh, moved to the mountains actually, and met a lot of other amazing uh, 
freaks and people who are, uh, you know, whose minds worked differently and were engaging in, in reality in a different way. I started rock climbing. You know, I was 215 pounds in high school. Um, I can see where that comes from. Yep. I was big. I was, I was, I was, a, I was a big Protecting guy. Protecting yourself. You protected yourself. The body Absolutely. protected yourself from the social attacks or being wrong, right? Exactly. And kids are brutal, you know, because I placed, because I didn't have an aggressive bone in my body, first and foremost. Yeah. I didn't have that inherent anger, uh, well, or rather like, you know, violence piece. I played football, but I was always the worst on the team. I never really played much. I was just on the team. It was kept me uh, at least healthy or, you know, healthier, but um, because I didn't have any of the aggression or like yeah. that to get out. But um, I just basically put that aggression on myself. And yeah, I, my body was protecting itself. Um, but yeah, as soon as I didn't need that, literally overnight, it did not even take weeks from the moment that I moved up into the mountains to becoming obsessed with rock climbing, becoming obsessed with it. And I got super healthy and I never once made a decision like I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to get healthy. It never was that. All it was, was I found this sport that everyone around me is supporting me. So you got all these people rather than a team sport, you know, in this competitiveness, it's like uh, people are saying, go, 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 you could do this, you know, and they're like supporting you and it's problem solving. So my mathematical mind and my, and my problem solving mind, it's like trying to get this move and I barely can't get to it. And I try it over and over again and it seems impossible. Then suddenly I tweak my hip like a half of a degree and I, I turn in my knee just ever so slightly. And suddenly this thing that was impossible and I couldn't do over and over again, I get it. And then every single time I try it now, afterwards, I get it every single time. And it then grows and grows. There's no limit to this. I can just keep getting better and better at it forever. So I became obsessed. I also started playing improvisational music with friends. I started getting into more bands that did more avant-garde and improvisational stuff. I started just pushing my boundaries with music uh, in significant ways. And I literally just found myself uh, pretty quickly. It didn't take long for me to find a conducive environment where I could just be myself and actually be not just accepted, but, but appreciated in that to very rapidly uh, just slip into the way that my mind is, is able to function. And I realized that one of the greatest gifts I got as a child is all I ever wanted to be was normal as a kid. <laughs> all I ever wanted was for people to just like me in that same normal way that I saw other kids. And what that did is it, is it really helped me to bridge a lot of my communication skills through a back door that, that have allowed me to go from being able to, you know, having a, difficult time communicating with the normative reality and, and with people of the culture to being able to build an exceptional skill in communication because I've had to wire it through the back door. So I have an, I have an extra creative leverage uh, and, and innovative leverage there because it wasn't something that was just automatically subconsciously 
imprinted. Uh, I had to actually work on it, create it, and I had to analyze all of the different subtleties of how people communicated in order to get there. So it, it, it's like there's so many gifts tied up into this. But yeah, there is definitely an uh, inherent way that my mind worked that was not understood as a child, was actually seen as problematic, but is become, has become the basis of a lot of what I teach and share and um, am helping other people to be able to unlock at this point in my life. Okay. Yeah, I, I take a few notes for the show notes afterwards. Um, I only have 4,000 letters. But I, <laughs> so I, have to be, I, I learned to be creative. But I can see, so you talk now about the communication you had to build up because you were, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of psychology questions I have as well. Um, but so you build up this communication skill, which is outstanding and creative. How do you see that working with the other skills you have? Are you using that communication skill to communicate with music, body language, or other things? Or is it just the verbal communication? It, that is such a great question um, because it is everything. So the way that I move, like the, the way that my body moves um, is atypical to a standard, habitually patterned Western body. Um, and, and part of that is because I didn't connect those habitual patterns the way that most children do as kids. So I actually, um, this is a funny example, but as a small child, I was already squatting on a toilet. And uh, when, when you're taught to sit, my body did not want to do it. I couldn't do it. So I would squat up on, the, up on the rim of the toilet. And at one point, I think at one point, one of my sisters accidentally walked in on me, saw me squatting up there. Then they started telling on me and I was getting in trouble for it. So all the adults were, were like saying, you can't do that. That's wrong. What are you doing? And my sisters actually found out that they could, if I was in the bathroom, they'd go and look under the door. And if they didn't see feet, They'd go be like, ah, Robbie's squatting on the toilet again. And, and the thing is, 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 is even, even getting in trouble for it, it was so inherent to what I just, I, it wasn't some conscious thing. It wasn't like I was mentally fighting something. It's just my body knew what it needed to do and did it that I, that I continued to. Um, I basically can say that I've, I can count on one hand the number of times I've sat on a toilet and in my entire life. And here we are today in this, in this situation where suddenly there's these squatty potties and it's like this massive product and it's the big thing. And everybody's like, yeah, we need to stop sitting down on toilets. We need to start squatting. And this is something that, you know, what I inherently had because I wasn't for, you know, at the time it seemed for worse, but definitely for better ultimately. Um, I wasn't being as easily uh, you know, habitualized into uh, that human communication. And so that's a lot of that's body communication. I'd say the majority of it, you know, so, like a, so body that, movements, et cetera. Right. Exactly. Like, so you were not, I mean, I have to laugh now that you tell me that, that just was in the Corona times here in Denmark, we are pretty liberal. Um, not as liberal as the Swedish people, but we can move pretty free. 
And mm-hmm. I just saw these young people just like this cool walk. I'm like, come on, you're 14 years old and you walk like you're like just... <laughs> little gangster walk, like the swag. Yes, the exactly. Like, what, what's that all about? <laughs> um, so I can just imagine. Um, but you also said you were 200 pounds overweight. And you say you squat on, on a toilet and we have these hanging toilets. I mean, <laughs> so how, how did that work? <laughs> well, I, I grew, so um, I was 215 pounds and I had a big belly, but a lot of it was very well dispersed around my body. I was just big in general. Ah. Um, and yeah. the thing is, is I, you got to imagine I was squatting my, on toilets my entire life. So my body developed around that behavior. So my hips, the flexibility in my hips, the flexibility in my ankles and my knees, uh, the, the way that all of my joints and my lower back, especially like lower back mobility, all of these things from, from a very early age uh, developed to support that, that behavior. So even as I got bigger, and I didn't get bigger until I was a teenager, um, okay. I was hyper, hyper, hyper active as a child. I was climbing trees and I was doing all the stuff. So I you was, see you were climbing trees, right? And oh then yeah. You go in the mountains and climbing rocks. Yeah. Rocks. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just thinking, you know, when you're grown up, I mean, these rims are not really big, but uh, we don't have to go into details. I mean, <laughs> but, uh, but you, you said about these squatty parties. I haven't heard about that in Europe. Um, it's, well, at least in the United States, it's this huge product right now. Uh, there are these little stools that slide underneath your toilet. You slide it out and you put your feet on it and it, it creates that physiologically, that physiologically correct squatting position that lines up your colon in a way that allows the body to eliminate appropriately. So it's a huge product, multi, multi, multi million dollar thing. People are starting to catch up with the idea that you you know that sitting the sitting position is a horrible way to eliminate it blocks the colon it doesn't allow things to flow properly human physiology is designed to squat not just on the toilet but in general that's meant to be a physiologically natural resting position for the human body so in the western culture we've got we've become so inured to sitting uh just sitting in chairs and the way that that like blocks off the energy flow in the hips into the thighs, it changes our relationship between our ankles, our knees, our hips, everything. It creates, uh, it creates uh, locked up energy. It actually fuses the spine in the lumbar. So like the low, people's lower backs, it just creates, and it creates problems all the way up the chain. So, uh, even when I'm sitting in chairs, I like to squat. I'm trying to figure out how to get those paddles on my steering wheel in my car that people who are disabled have, so I can squat. <laughs> so I can squat in my car. No, seriously, because squat my, in I, the car. Because I can feel the I can feel the detriment. I have I have wow. enough, I feel the detriment of long hours of sitting in the in the normalized standard Western way that we're, that everyone is taught to sit and it's physiologically inherently wrong. There, there's no, there's no way to justify it as right because you can see the inherent damage it does to the physical body. So 
you know, so in my mind, it's like, well, I, I'm going to find every possible way to augment reality so that I can be in that physiologically coherent position. And that's including driving a car. I want the paddles so I don't have to use my feet so I can squat in my squat, uh, have a squat mobile, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now that with the e-mobile and the self-driving cars, uh, but you could still look into after the chocolate and everything you do to have your own brand uh, for cars, so you can squat. Yeah, you right. get there. But but you you're right. I mean, it's uh, about five years ago that I started working out with a friend, and I didn't do leg squats because I blacked out many times. And he said, "Go ass to the grass," right? go really deep and i couldn't in the beginning it hurt my knee but only after a month already uh the knee pain was gone from squatting yes and uh, but i also have colon issues and um been operated so for bleeding so i think who knows if the squatting would help because and, and, uh, and just in a resting position trying to get to the point where you can squat on a flat surface with your heels on the ground and feel not just comfortable but actually in a resting position. Most Westerners, if they try to squat flat-footed on the ground without their knees spread super wide, even with their knees spread super wide, it is a, it is a position that requires a lot of effort. Uh, it puts a lot of strain on the lower back. It puts a lot of strain on the knees and the hips and the ankles. And that is due to a lifetime of this other physiological pattern that we've been taught it goes with the breathing this is a perfect example like habitually you look at little children little tiny children up to the age of about three and they've got beautiful breathing you see the breath go straight into the belly it fills up to the top of the chest and then goes back down it's 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 amazing to watch and then around the age of four the child will habitually like without even knowing what's happening they will imprint the breathing pattern of the adults around them. And then next thing you know, the diaphragm starts working in reverse. It starts to expand on the inhale rather than contract. And, and, and therefore, it actually blocks airflow to the, to the bottom half of the lungs. And you have these people doing this very shallow, short chest breathing. And the bottom half of the lungs contains 70% of our potential air exchange. So people will spend their entire lives reverse diaphragm breathing with their diaphragm literally sabotaging their ability to even get air into the bottom half of their lungs. And, and it's not just air exchange. Your lungs expanding, especially the bottom of your lungs, is one of the primary ways that all of your internal organs that are surrounding the lungs are designed to detoxify. They require that pressure from the inside to help to palpitate and to literally help them detoxify. So it, it's this chain reaction of cultural habits <laughs> that are sabotaging people's ability to find even that basic modicum of personal health. So I, with the Wim Hof method, before I, you know, I spend a lot of time teaching Westerners how to breathe the way that they were when they were three years old before they subconsciously integrated this new habit. And uh, 
And, and it's amazing what percentage, like the vast majority of Western society is reverse diaphragm breathing and not even getting that full potential. It's not just that when you're uh, chest breathing, it, it doesn't allow your body to get that hit that I need to go into a parasympathetic state to go into that so, rest and relax. Okay. So, so how will you teach that? Because I have two kids, <clears throat> six and nine or soon to be nine. Um, and I've that with the squat. I know since they're very small, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, for me, it's the, the ankles, which are the problem, the big problem when Common. I go down. Yeah. And then of course my lower back hurts and I have, problems for very long and for a year I have the bleeding right so I have been operated and who knows if that is an issue but I can sit with wide angles now that's what I do now but the breath I, I realize when I'm very relaxed I'm breathing very little and sl slow and I was not aware that that we were copying others how to breathe I mean, how to move. Yes, I can see that, right? Because you have the cool shoulders and whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, also with the squatting, because like, hey, get out of here. And uh, I'm, I'm getting so annoyed when I see parents take on the shoes and the kids take off the shoes. Hey, you have to take on the shoes. Like, don't let them. I mean, they need to use the feet on the floor. And I'm so happy that my daughter can do like spread her toes like, like we do with the fingers because I cannot. And I'm like, can you show me just to enforce that she's continuing doing it right because i think that's a really good thing that she that's does that. awesome yeah um my son has a bit more problems but uh, he sees his sister doing it <laughs> um but with the breath uh, how to teach it i mean i uh, while you were talking about it i'm like and i breathe in I, I breathe it into my belly and then like the wim hof says right you breathe into your belly and you expand it and then it goes back up to your to your chest and then you just let it out you don't press it out. Also in normal breath, right? Correct. Uh, okay. So the way to reteach, and, and that means you're breathing correctly. If, if, the, if the air fills your belly first, then it's working the way it's supposed to. Um, a lot of people, like the air only fills the chest and that's it. And it never even reaches the belly. So that's, that's a great sign. The way that I teach it, it and, and you can look this up, anyone can look this up, the three-part breath is the way to retrain yourself to breathe properly. And it involves placing one hand on the belly and one hand on the chest. And you start breathing. And the goal is to first have the hand on the belly expand out, then have the space in between the hands expand out, then the chest expand out. So you want, this, you want the space in between your hands to stay relatively still while your hand expands out. Then you want that hand on your chest to still stays pretty still while the center expands. Then the top, then you want that to reverse. You want the hand over your chest to collapse the space in between and then the belly. And that way people can start to feel and get a sense of that flow. For most people who've been reverse diaphragm breathing, that actually to feel the diaphragm like working properly in that moment will actually feel strange and it'll require a lot of energy it'll almost be exhausting to them because the diaphragm isn't use, it's a muscle and it's been atrophied. So luckily, because it is the way that we evolved, and this is with a lot of these patterns, even though we have a lifetime of habitually doing it wrong, there is a physiological inclination to do it right. So it's a habit 
that is much easier for us to embody. Like just doing it consciously a little bit every day. Uh, if you do a regular Wim Hof practice, it's the perfect time to practice that. You'll find yourself very quickly breathing correctly. And it seems like you've already got the proper breath going. But I've also been using your YouTube video uh, for a week now or two weeks. And awesome. some other Wim Hof, I mean, as I said before, I don't know if I said it in the podcast. Um, it's with Tim Ferriss having Wim Hof on his show in 2015. I started to look at it, but I didn't really know what to do because there were not really videos out. And, um, and, and you need to do it some kind of right, right? It's, it, you, and um, because also in your video, you really like breathe in, breathe out. And I had a course in November and, and it really like, he explains, really go into your belly, fill it up into your chest and let it out. And don't press it out, just let it out. Exactly. So I don't know if that has, has changed since I started in November doing it with the breath or not. But I've also played football, soccer. Mm -hmm. uh, I did martial arts. And there you also need to focus. But I can see for many people, not breathing in the belly might be vanity, right? You don't want to have a big belly, but you want to have a big chest. Yep. Well, and it's, it's, and it's one of these things that um, if you have that level of self-consciousness, you'll probably just exaggerate the not belly breathing and you'll probably, you'll probably really like have a even more limited as when I got big, for example, I was extremely self-conscious of my belly. Like I didn't want photographs. All of my photos showed me with my arms kind of crossed, like hiding, you know, that, and that, and that sucks. And so, yeah, there, there is a, a psychological pattern there, but it just goes so much deeper than that. You know, like you see people who have no awareness whatsoever. They have no, no like conscious or even subconscious uh, like vanity based reason. They just simply watched their anxious parents and anxious adults. And then all the kids around them just habitually breathing in this way. And without even knowing what was happening, that's how powerful cultural habits are. They breathe the exact same way. And it is so common. It's actually more common uh, in our culture than people breathing correctly. And that's part of the source of all of this anxiety, the fact that people stay in a sympathetic state. So when you say, you know, the Wim Hof method, like you don't push the air out, you just let it out and relax. That's to stimulate that parasympathetic rest and relax nervous system response in the body because that's what's missing in a lot of people's lives to the point where a lot of people are staying in a sympathetic nervous system, a fight or flight active nervous system state, even while they sleep, they're never getting into a full rest and relax, which means their organs are never regenerating. They're not eliminating toxins from their body and they're not able to function. Like the, the, the engine of the body is not able to function at its optimal state, which also means the brain is not able to function at the optimal state. It means you're not able to grow new synapses. If your body is struggling to detoxify and it's not even able to eliminate properly, you're not going to have any energy 
to grow and innovate and to create new synapses. So the body's got to be functioning well first before the whole learning piece and the whole like creative, innovative, learning how to learn stuff is even applicable because you know, if the body stays in a fight or flight state, literally it is that, you know, it's, that's the state of like, Hey, I need to run away from this tiger right now. And so it's going to put all of your energy into what is necessary to run away from the tiger. That whole prefrontal cortex, that whole creative thinking, uh, like all innovative part of your brain, it literally shunts blood flow to that part of your brain. Like it, that is, that is part of being in a sympathetic state. It is, it is purposefully keeping you from using that part of your brain because it seems like it, it feels like that's a waste of energy in regards to survival. And so that kind of explains a lot of the, a lot of the kind of atrophy in thought and, and a lot of the, I mean, to be blunt about it, idiocy that we see in Western culture right now, there's a very clear like physiological reason that people are dumb. And it's not because they are inherently dumb, but it's because they've been habitually shown through the world around them from being small children, this fight or flight reality that's literally kept the part of their brain that creates all of the creativity and inspiration and everything else underdeveloped but what's good about this is that you get the body in line you get that sympathetic state functioning again and very quickly and rapidly you start seeing the prefrontal cortex and all the rest of the brain and the corpus callosum that balances both hemispheres you start seeing this stuff light up and it's it's rapid you can rapidly increase your level of holistic competency when your body, when you're, when you're not fighting your body, essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, now we are in the Corona time. So there was a lot of videos and interviews and podcasts talking about many of these things. So it's not only, I mean, you, you, you put the point, um, something I haven't really been aware of, but it makes a lot of sense. Like, breathing into the belly so once it's you, you use the muscles different secondly you help the organs to detox better mm-hmm. meaning when you sleep the body need to detox less because you already through the breath through the day you, you have already detoxed uh, some part of it or a big part probably and if you're with that breath you also go into the fight or flight mode because you're, it's you know when you're when you're scared you breathe shallow um and because we are observing others, and that's also movies, right? We also learn from watching movies and stuff. Oh, for so, sure. So who knows where it comes from? Um, then you're in a constant, you know, tense mode. And I had 10 years of, you know, not sleeping well, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm still having problems. And problem, my nervous system is still active. Too much. <laughs> Too much on the defense. Uh, and still, I'm very creative. Uh, so I don't want to know when everything is just <laughs> balanced out where I'm going to fly. But I can see many, many things I'm consuming talk about meditation helping out exactly with the same. 
-hmm. and the Wim Hof is some kind of meditation because I remember in one of the many, many talks he has that he was doing meditation and martial arts. And this was also one of the reasons when he was younger, he went into the ice in Holland and, and kept through the, you know, the first pain. And after the death of his uh, suicide of his ex-wife or wife, he, I don't know the exact story, but he must have come back to this habit to help him calm down. Right. So, and also when you look at meditation, like all these Asian things, they have a lot of breath work in it. So, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you look at the Vedic texts, for example, you know, the Vedas are the oldest texts that we have on the planet. Um, and you know, they, they are, they are the foundational precursor as far as we have textually for all Eastern religions, you know, they, they predate Hinduism, they're foundational. And then, you know, it was through Hindu culture that the Buddha, you know, yeah. came into being and all of the Buddhism and everything else came from there. And in the most ancient of the Vedic texts, we have uh, multiple pranayamas that are being shared, you know, breath work. Breath work is an essential part of the most ancient text that we have in existence. It's a part of, it, it is part of, it, when, when ancient humans first started scribbling on stones to share something, breath work was included as one of the important things they thought was important to start writing on stone and sharing with future generations. So it's that, it's that deep, it's that inherent. Um, and ancient people who weren't being, uh, or, you know, we don't believe we're being habitually taught to breathe uh, in this really destructive pattern that is so common in our culture right now, even for them, having these different breath works, the alternate nostril breathing and the breath of fire. Yeah. I do that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a yoga instructor. I, I teach the breath work. I, I, I love Wim Hof method breath work, but it's really, it's one, it's one type of breath work and they, yes. and amongst many, and they all have different things to share. They have different, you know, opportunities that they create. So, uh, yeah, breathwork is literally one of the foundational practices that has defined humanity for all of known history. And as such, we can say more than likely for all of unknown history as well. Yeah, no, it's um, prom yeah, I started Ayurveda yoga in August. And then uh, he also said, like, pranayama, like the you know, nostril and hold, you know, the the other hand like this Mudra, yeah yeah i don't know what it, yeah and uh, not not uh with the small fingers the small and the ring finger together with the thumb yeah something like that because that's <laughs> activating whatever points and in the beginning it was very hard for me just to be five minutes like that and by after only three four months i was doing 25 30 minutes just sitting there but he said you should not do it that fast, but somehow my body just knew. And it's like for you, but the whole story you're telling me, it's, uh, you know, I just went with the flow and you have great information there. I'm just wondering, okay, you said you had the problems with copying people and 
their behavior and you knew somehow this was for the good. And I can see you, you didn't copy the breath. You didn't copy certain things. It's, it's kind of like your body knew, don't do that. And, but your mind wants to fight it. Like your body knew how to, your body knew how to move. Your body knew how to, what to do. And, and, and you were just in the culture and, and, and everyone is copying everyone because that's what we do because we want to be part of the, of the group because a hundred years ago you might have died if you were not a part of the group because you were out exactly. there, you didn't get food, you didn't get shelter, you didn't get protection. Um, but you just knew it. And, and then there's the other question for me. It was also like you said, from, from about 10 years old, you started journaling. Um, and you also talked about overweight and, you know, like kids are brutal and all this, you know, bad feelings from probably four or five years of age. I was just thinking, what kind of traumas must, you must have taken with you from there? Was it helping you to have the journal still intact uh, and going through them again? to understand yourself and things you have been f- forgetting or, or, or what kind of work did you do to actually get, you know, get clean with your past and forgive yourself or forgive the people around you or whatever. What, what was the practice for you to, when I look at you and the work I saw, I'm like, wow, this guy is really has his shit together. What was the path there? What, what did you go to overcome for people which, and I have a lot of people around me which are really struggling mentally, overweight, they cannot get rid of it, they have no energy to work, they don't find work, right? They're stuck somewhere. So, I mean, that's, oh, that, that's probably one of the great, and that's one of the best questions that could be asked. <laughs> so far, wait, yeah. what's coming? <laughs> I love it. Um, and, and so... This gets into a lot of what I'm doing at Mandala Springs and a lot of the things that are the reason that I have this uh, property is um, what I did for myself that I didn't realize why or what I was getting into. Um, I threw myself at the world. I went and I, I, I went and camped out, you know, barefoot and eating <laughs> wild food in the, in the forest, I, I, you know, had wild animals prowling around me and I had to, you know, find the courage to not be, to not show fear. And I threw myself at South America, actually at the age of 20, I took a slack line and a djembe to South America with me. And okay, I, how long? For about a year. And I, and I didn't know what I was doing. I knew I, I had set it up as a uh, permaculture and eco like I, like my university studies uh, as an internship for that, and to study the Spanish language. Uh, but that began a three and a half year hiatus from university. I wasn't aware of that I was going, and it was just this rite of passage. That's the word. That's the big thing. I without realizing what I was doing, I gifted myself something that is fundamental to human, um, to human evolution, to, to us becoming mental, emotional, and spiritual adults. So what happens is you have a person who physically grows, but they remain a mental, emotional, and spiritual adolescent till the day they die. That is what Western culture does and the biggest reason for that is what we're missing are these rites of passage. 
where you, where you are tested, you know, really tested and uh, against the world where, where any sense of identity or any sense of what you think you are, what you think you're capable of is really pushed, pulled and stretched. Um, and, you know, in ancient days, when a, at a coming of age, you know, when a kid would reach a certain age, especially men, because women all have this giving birth is an incredible rite of passage, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's utterly insane, but men don't have the equivalent. It's, it's something that, you know, we have to go out and get and, and, and across the world, regardless of where they are in like ancient cultures, tribal cultures, all share that at a coming of age, you know, at some teenage year, the men will go out and have some sort of really profound, like physically dangerous, like test that will, that'll essentially act as a rite of passage for them. And, and, and in lieu of that, uh, people are just expected to slip into that, you know, comfortably numb social reality, get your job, get your house, do your thing. And they've never been tested. They've never had, they've never seen their limits. They've never stepped outside of their comfort zone enough to know what actually defines their limits and their boundaries. And so one of the biggest things that I did for myself is I threw myself at the world. And for example, I, I, I went and accidentally like became the youngest person to solo uh, climb Aconcagua, the tallest mountain outside the Himalayas. Okay. Uh, that like, so I, where is that? It's in Argentina. I haven't heard about that. It's the tallest, it's the highest point in the Andes, which makes it the tallest point outside of the Himalayas and um, 7,000 meters. And it's, mm -hmm. oh, and and you were like, okay, you said you were, um, you said you went for one year, but you were three and a half years actually in South America. No, uh, I, when I came back to the United States, I moved like I kept going. I I moved everything. I ah, so you were just three and a half years away from university. So they just they didn't know where you are. Okay. Yeah. I just had to ask. Yeah. For the listeners, uh, my daughter just came in. She's, she needs a little bit of attention. You want to listen to what we are talking or you're just sitting oh, here? Oh, you want me to finish? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's see, Avienda, how long we do it. Because I think this is not the last time we are talking with... Uh, yeah, you know, we can, we can come back to this conversation too, anytime. I mean, I'll come back to you. I'll finish this episode up and then we are okay. Okay. Uh, Avi, go with me. <laughs> okay. Avi, Avi, please. Okay. Yes. I'll, I'll, Avi, you get me in five minutes. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, okay. So much uh, for parents. I'll, I'll respect my daughter because I can really see she was, She's very really understanding, and actually, we can we can do many episodes. I'm sure because there's so much wisdom, and I want things I want to talk to you because this rite of passage. It of course it came up to my mind. You you mentioned the women with giving birth, and like just that, that's why women always say men are just children. <laughs> exactly. 
because many men don't go through that. Um, Native Americans, they have the same rite of passage, I don't know, at the age of 16, 18, whatever. Exactly. They send you out for three days into the, into the wild with nothing. And last year, I've been in a mastermind retreat in Bulgaria, and an American dude living in Slovakia, I think it is, told me, go for three days in the forest, no water, nothing, and just stay there. I'm like, no water? Seriously? Uh, no food, I can understand. And I tried to answer, and he didn't answer yet, uh, ask him about where this idea came from, because I saw it on the Indian, you know, Native American pass, passage, uh, you know, rite of pass. And I definitely had several opportunities to do that for myself, but my Western educated mind did not allow it. I was afraid of losing the, the internship for going to study and all mm -hmm. these things. And uh, so I didn't continue when I was in South America. I had the chance to also travel and I loved it. You know, just the backpack and just, Go. I was in Ecuador and I just loved it. It was a different feeling. And um, you were also talking about, you know, healing, reducing the, the nervous system, pranayama and all these things. What I've also seen, I'm, I'm doing a lot of Mind Valley classes with Vishen Lakhiani. I don't know if you have heard of him. Um, Vishen Lakhiani. No. I can give you a link. Please do. And before, yeah. And before it was Tim Ferriss, the master of, <laughs> of, of everything. And uh, no, yeah, well, jack of many trades and master of none. Uh, which I really much related to. And what you say, I relate even more. Um, because I cannot live with one thing. Uh, and, and Vishen Lakhiani was talking about... Uh, yeah, now I lost my track because I'm, I'm going everywhere. But also with the, the healing and visualization and growing and, and, and ah, yeah, meditation and, and, and feel into your heart. That's where I wanted to go that you really feel the heart yes. and, uh, and, 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 and that is healing. And, and you were talking about learning something new and all the neuro, um, you know, the brain is making connections all around everywhere. When you're creative for three days, you can see that there are brain cells growing in your heart. Yes. And your gut uh, actually, but like there's more neurons in your heart and gut than there are in your brain. Okay, about the gut, I knew you have a lot of bacteria and other not human cells um, there which are actually helping you to think gut feeling. And the heart is related to the creativity and the love. And mm -hmm. you can actually feel the energy of the heart. And that's why you can feel someone which is completely in, um, how you see, in synchronicity with himself or herself and and just irradiates that love and compassion because you can feel them and we exactly. in the western world one thing is we lost the breath uh and therefore we are always in the fight or flight mode so we're not really sleeping so there's not much more space for love if there's not a lot of space for love and compassion there's not much for creativity that's why we are like sheeps following the you know the leader and I can see that with the, this coronavirus, uh, but I don't want to go into that. But you There's are touching on something so important, which is uh, learning how to pragmatically get to a point where you can listen to the intelligence of the heart. Um, yes. And, and, and start to 
respond to it uh, where people spend so much time responding to the, to the thoughts and to the mental projections, starting to really feel and understand the directive and the direction that the heart is asking us to go and understanding that the intelligence there uh, can, will lead us into the greatest expressions of what we are capable of um, as people interconnected it's the interconnector. It's what, it's what gives us the intelligence of connecting to nature, connecting to other people, feeling like we are parts of a whole rather than these separate rogue cells doing our own thing. Um, and that's what, helps to, that's what helps to dictate the things that I put my priorities into. Like my priorities are, are what is going to create the planet What's going to create the culture that I want to see my great, great, great grandchildren inheriting? It's yes, like I have the same. I have, I'm on the same path for the last month. I don't know where it comes from. It was always inside me. Um, Jesus, I really, we can have a five-hour talk. Uh, we can well, go really, really over deep. time. We will. <laughs> yes, because you know, there's like I want to know, like when you had the path, uh, the right for passage. Did you have like an awakening, like a moment where we're like, whoa, you were so filled with love and you just knew where you go? Or did that come another time or, you know? So the answer to that question is a ma massive yes, but it wasn't, yes. it wasn't just one time. Uh, there, were, there were distinct moments where my world was blasted open and everything I thought I knew about anything was completely just laid to waste. And, and those definitive experiences have utterly changed the, my, the way, not only just the way that I literally function on a day-to-day -day basis, but my priorities in the world. Um, yes, it's like an after-death or like a close-to-death experience. Yes. which many say doctors, uh, which are a little bit more spiritual doctors, not just <laughs> academic. They say there are patients which come back from a near death experience. They change all the, everything, all the priorities. Yep. All the priorities. And there was also one person I just saw on the health summit. There's in Denmark, a documentary this week. And uh, he's working with sound healing. And he said he had a patient, which was super rich, had everything. And then he had, cancer and he was said you have i don't know five or six months to live and he was selling everything he bought a boat he changed the clothes he got himself out of the company um he went down to california or florida i have no idea where and he took on people to drive around he said now i have no <laughs> no more um nothing else i'm about to die so i'd better do what i love and guess what the cancer was gone a yeah. month after he, he sold everything the cancer was his way out of, of, of a life which was not meant to be. Well, the cancer was all of those possessions. The cancer was yes. that life in so many yes, ways. Yes, exactly. But, but he said to, to that guy with the uh, sound, I don't remember the name, that the cancer allowed him to get rid of everything. He's, he doesn't need the cancer anymore, he said. And it was gone. And it was also a massive blessing to his life. The cancer was the... Yes. 
the catalyst in so many ways. Like probably something he should be eternally grateful for. Because he, oh, I guess he is. Because he, he rose to the occasion. Yes. Okay. Um, let's take that point for our first um, stop of the interview. Really? So, and then there will be another episode another day. Um, where can people find you? I mean, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. Uh, where do you want them to reach out for you? So um, I'm really loving my new project, the Convergence Lifestyle, brand new baby channel, but um, it's... I figured, I finally realized that YouTube channel is the way that I can share what matters with the world uh, the most easily. But then, you know, beyond that, I've got this beautiful retreat center with the National Forest on three sides uh, out here in the Southern Appalachian Mountains, the single most biodiverse place in the entire subtropical world. So after we're done with quarantine, I am, my goal is to have workshops retreats and classes happening here and simultaneously doing more you know youtube podcast various media from here um i release a lot of my music under my name and under amorphos uh which you know i'm, I'm constantly writing music i've been teaching classes and building sample packs me and my buddy anthony thogmartin from papadozio created an entire sample pack of nature sounds from the land here that we've released uh, that that producers all over the world are using nature sounds wow. from Mandala Springs. And then last but very much not least is my raw organic certified B Corp superfood chocolate company. I have a chocolate crafty right here on site. I'm about to release a really exciting video that shows just how much fun it is above my production space is a movement space with indoor slack lines and aerial rigging uh, and surrounding that is a climbing wall that we have set up with uh, all sorts of fun features it's got these free hanging stalactite features that we have on the climbing wall so we've just got this really creative playful space the chocolate is made right here. I use wildcrafted herbs that I got certified organic for the first time ever that I get from my land, which is also certified organic. Uh, oh, it goes so deep. You know, that's, that's why it's... I mean, <laughs> that, that's why we have to have another episode where we actually... I, I thought I'm going to ask you, you know, about your different products and everything you do, but we went so much down the spiritual path and your, your story. So um, that perhaps next time we can focus on that part. So the people get to know all the great products you do. And you, you are actually also writing on your webpage that you want you know, and you also mentioned now, you want to leave something behind for your grand, 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 grandchildren. And you want to be, yeah, with respect, respect the nature, respect people. We are, we are Gaia. Whatever, if you're Bill Gates or whoever you are with all these fancy vaccine ideas you have, we all are from this earth. We are part of it. It, and it's a spirit itself um and i love what you do so we have to talk about that and um yes my daughter is calling so uh, she needs daddy uh, yeah help. definitely and uh thank you for this time and um uh listeners you know what you have to do keep your eyes open on uh, facebook linkedin and my webpage until the next episode is out and i say thank you for today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I always enjoy sharing 
it's it's part of my mission you know it's why i'm here so looking forward to the next time hey here's oliver again at the end of the show i if you like this interview or any other episode i had so far please head out and go to your favorite podcast host podcast provider and put that subscribe button so you will get all my future episodes as well and if you're so friendly and you really like and enjoy and would like more people to be able to to benefit from the interviews i have go out to uh, apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you are and leave some uh, review some ratings which will help to get my show a little bit more seen thank you very much for that and have a great day